BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We have, of course, the 4th of July, but nothing compares and contrasts with what we're watching here today, where you, one nation becomes totally united in glee, I would imagine, over what is going on, the 70th anniversary of the Queen's uh, coronation. Look, are there some people in this country who are not monarchists? Yes, Mike. I mean, polls have it at about a quarter of the population are not super in favor of the monarchy. Are they Republicans? Possibly. But... This weekend is a celebration of one person, and it's a celebration of 70 years of Queen Elizabeth, frankly, doing her duty and doing it really well. Some of the soft heads on MSNBC going on about the Queen's 70th uh, anniversary jubilee, Queen Elizabeth over there in Great Britain. Who, you know, I've always thought it's a fine gal. I mean, if you're going to have a queen, which is an idiotic idea and, and pretty much indefensible, but if you're going to have one, she seems to have been fine at it. She's a plucky young woman in World War II. That's right. She's that old. Uh, so, okay, fine and dandy. It was funny uh, how she thought about how she said there are probably some people against that. They're probably Republicans, which brings us to what I want to talk about. Why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And we've got all sorts of stuff ripped from today's headlines coming up as well. Kind of a digest of today's news. So if you're tuned in for that, don't worry, we'll get to it. But uh, Jonathan Haidt wrote this. He's an absolutely wonderful uh, writer. He's a sociologist. He's a thinker. And, um, and I found this to be really, really compelling. It's an incredible 
incredible. It's half a book. It's a long article. Um, and, and I've just taken on the first half of it. Maybe we'll get to the, the second half uh, in the days to come. But he opens describing the tale of the Tower of Babel in the Bible, where the uh, the people of that land uh, decided they were the S, as the kids say, and built a super high tower to show something or other. And, uh, and God decided to punish them by confusing their language so that no one will understand another's speech, which is a heck of a punishment. Anyway... Uh, Height writes, the story of Babel is the best metaphor I've found for what had happened to America in the 2010s and for the fractured country we now inhabit. Something went terribly wrong very suddenly. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We're cut off from one another and from the past. Now, interestingly enough, we got an email from uh, one of our beloved listeners, and I'm sorry, I don't have it. Oh, it was uh, JT who said, guys, I think a lot of what's being blamed on the pandemic might not be the pandemic. It was starting before that, and maybe the pandemic made it worse, but uh, it was already brewing. And I agree 100%, which is not to excuse some of the idiocies and overreach of pandemic policy, but I think he's right. Getting back to height, it's been clear for a while now that Red America and Blue America are becoming like two different countries claiming the same territory with two different versions of the Constitution of economics, of American history. But Babel is not a story about tribalism. It's a story about the fragmentation of everything. It's about the shattering of all that seems solid, the scattering of people who had been a community. It's a metaphor for what is happening not only between red and blue, but within the left and within the right, as well as within universities, companies, professional associations, museums, and even families. He mentions there's a direction to history, and generally, over the last number of hundreds of years, uh, millennia, it's toward cooperation at larger scales. And he talks about, uh, in biology, there are a series of major transitions where the amoeba comes out of the ocean, etc., etc. I'm going to summarize that part very, very briefly, but leaping ahead to a, a, a period of major transition. The early Internet of the 1990s, with its chat rooms, message boards, and email, exemplified the thesis of a book he referred to in which the development of the Internet would be a wonderful thing in which uh, oppressors couldn't oppress anymore, people would share information, everybody would learn a lot and, and be able to stay in touch. The early Internet of the 1990s, with its chat rooms, message boards, and emails, exemplified that thesis, as did the first wave of social media platforms, which launched around 2003. MySpace, Friendster, Facebook made it easy to connect with friends and strangers to talk about common interests for free and at a scale never before imaginable. By 2008, Facebook had emerged as the dominant platform with more than 100 million monthly users on its way to roughly 3 billion today. Good Lord. In the first decade of the new century, social media was widely believed to be a boon to democracy. What dictator could impose his will on an interconnected citizenry? What regime could build a wall to keep out the Internet? The high point of the techno-democratic optimism was arguably 2011, a year that began with the Arab Spring and ended with the global Occupy movement. That is also when Google Translate became available on virtually all smartphones, so you could say that 2011 was the year that humanity rebuilt the Tower of Babel. We were closer than we had ever been to being one people, and we had effectively overcome the curse of division by language. For techno-democratic optimists, it seemed to be the only the beginning of what humanity could do. Uh, here's where the first act ends and fades, and then you pick up the storyline. In February 2012, as he prepared to take Facebook public, Mark Zuckerberg reflected on those extraordinary times and set forth his plans. Quote, 
Today, our society has reached another tipping point, he wrote in a letter to investors. Facebook hopes to rewire the way people spread and consume information, said her, by giving them the power to share. It would help them to once again transform many of our core institutions and industries. Well, in the 10 years since then, Zuckerberg did exactly what he said he would do. He did rewire the way we spread and consume information. He did transform our institutions, and he pushed us past the tipping point. But it has not worked out as he expected. Then the section of the piece called Things Fall Apart. Historically, civilizations have relied on shared blood or gods or enemies to counteract the tendency to split apart as they grow. But what is it that holds together large and diverse secular democracies like the United States or India or, for that matter, modern Britain and France? What holds it together? Social scientists have identified at least three major forces that collectively bind together successful democracies. See if you buy this. I do, but, you know, see if you do. One, social capital, extensive social networks with high levels of trust, strong institutions, and shared stories. Social media has weakened all three to see how we must understand how social media changed over time, and especially in the several years following 2009. In their early incarnations, platform forms like MySpace and Facebook were relatively harmless. They allowed users to create pages on which to post photos, family updates, links to the most uh, static pages of their friends and favorite bands, that sort of thing, and family. In this way, early social media can be seen as just another step in the long progression of technological improvements, from the postal service through the telephone to email and texting that help people achieve the eternal goal of maintaining their social ties, those uh, social capital that we were talking about earlier. But gradually, social media users became more comfortable sharing intimate details of their lives with strangers and corporations. As I wrote in a 2019 Atlantic article with uh, Tobias Rose Stockwell, people became more adept at putting on performances and managing their personal brand. Activities that might impress others, but that do not deepen friendships in the way that a private phone conversation will. Okay, that's the first major twist now. We've gone from Joe on MySpace reaching out to my sister Sue, for instance, And saying, hey, how's everything going at work? I haven't talked to you for a while, blah, blah, blah. We just got back from vacation. It's gone from that to a conversation. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a performance. Looking for clicks and likes and stuff, which is where we're headed with this. Once social media platforms have trained users to spend more time performing and less time connecting, the stage was set for major transformation, which began in 2009, the intensification of viral dynamics. I'm looking at the clock. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to do one more little thing, and then we'll take a quick break and come back um, with a really, really important part. Uh, a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security, if you'll excuse the interruption, uh, because we're really going to get to the point of this article, which blew me away, and it, it may do the same to you. Uh, but our friends at Simply Safe want you to know that you customize Simply Safe to your home, your needs, your concerns. You live in one of those neighborhoods that used to be pretty nice, but now there's bums and junkies everywhere, and you want to protect your garage from having all your bikes stolen. You want to protect your front patio, your front door. Uh, maybe it's a fire danger with fire season starting in earnest in the West, for instance. Maybe you got a, a youngster or an oldster who tends to wander out of the house, and you need an entry alarm. Customize it to your home. Fire, too, by the way. Oh, that's right. I already said fire. Um, so go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes. No hidden fees. No long-term contracts. Plans cost under a dollar a day to protect your stuff. 
30 bucks a month, please. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, plus they're a beloved sponsor of the show, and we would appreciate it. Uh, so anyway, getting back to this. So now we're all performing instead of connecting, and the real viral dynamics are about to kick off in 2009. Uh, and they mentioned Facebook developing the like button. Twitter with the retweet button, which was even more powerful. Then Facebook shared, with, or they copied that with their own share button. Shortly after its like button began to produce data about what best engaged its users, Facebook developed algorithms to bring each user the content most likely to generate a like or some other interaction, including the share button. So what do we care about that? What, what does that matter? Well, later research showed that posts that trigger emotions, especially anger, are the most likely to be shared, especially anger at the other guy, whoever the other guy might be. So Facebook and Twitter and other social media became about feeding you what would make you most happy angry mel gibson a victim of that very thing uh so what does that matter politically sociologically for the u.s heights conclusions i think are great and they're coming up next armstrong and getty The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's an online directory that connects people through universities and colleges through their social networks there. You sign on, you make a profile about yourself by answering some questions, entering some information such as your concentration or major at school, um, contact information about phone numbers, instant messaging screen names, anything you want to tell, interests what books you like, movies, and most importantly, who your friends are. And then you can browse around and see who people's friends are and just check out people's online identities and see how people portray themselves and just find some interesting information about people. To quote Bob Dylan and the good book, sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. That's Mark Zuckerberg launching Facebook way back in the day. If you're just tuning in, uh, we're going over an edited version that I worked on uh, last couple of days of a piece by Jonathan Haidt in The Atlantic, Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. And if you didn't hear the previous segment, I suggest you grab it later, maybe via Armstrong and Getty on Demand or whatever. But we've gotten to the point where he's describing how in 2009, Facebook offered the like button. Twitter introduced something even more powerful, the retweet button. Facebook answered with the share button. And then, well, they discovered that what best engaged people, well, I'm sorry, the social media platforms decided, hey, we're going to begin designing algorithms to feed people that which engages them the most. Later studies showed what engages you the most is what makes you the most angry. So the social media platforms, the big ones, became vehicles for making you angry for their profit. Moving along then, 
By 2013, social media had become a new game with dynamics unlike those in 2008, just five years previous. If you were skillful or lucky, you might create a post that would go viral and make you internet famous for a few days. If you blundered, you could also find yourself buried in hateful comments. Your posts rode rose to fame or ignominy based on the clicks of thousands of strangers, and you in turn contributed thousands of clicks to the game. This new game encouraged dishonesty and mob dynamics. Users were guided not just by their true preferences, but by their past experiences of reward and punishment, and their prediction of how others would react to each new action. One of the engineers at Twitter who had worked on the retweet button later revealed that he regretted his contribution because it made Twister so, uh, Twitter so much a nastier place. As he watched Twitter mobs forming through the use of the new tool, he thought to himself, we might have just handed a four-year-old a loaded weapon. As a social psychologist, writes Height, who studies emotion, morality, and politics, I saw this happening too. The newly tweaked platforms were almost perfectly designed to bring out our most moralistic and least reflective selves. The volume of outrage was shocking. It was just this kind of twitchy and explosive spread of anger that James Madison had tried to protect us from as he was drafting the U.S. Constitution. Holy cow, James Madison. Everybody knows he's a genius, but I didn't realize he was this much of a genius. He saw Facebook coming. The framers of the Constitution were excellent social psychologists. They knew that democracy had an Achilles heel because it depended on the collective judgment of the people and that democratic communities are subject to, quote, the turbulency and weakness of unruly passions. In other words, we've got to design a way to calm things down, let everybody think about it for for a while, argue about it for a while, a system that can't be jerked. And yes, we'll hold those people who represent us accountable periodically. On election day. Well, the tech companies that enhanced virality from 2009 to 2012 brought us deep into Madison's nightmare. Many authors have quoted his comment in Federalist Number 10 on the innate human proclivity toward faction, by which he meant our tendency to divide ourselves into teams or parties. that are so inflamed with mutual animosity, he said, that they are much more disposed to vex and oppress each other than to cooperate for their common good. Everybody gets more into fighting than cooperating. But that essay continues on a less quoted yet equally important insight about democracy's vulnerability to triviality. Madison notes that people are so prone to factionalism that where no substantial occasion presents itself, the most frivolous and fanciful distinctions have been sufficient to kindle their unfriendly passions and excite their most violent conflicts, meaning we beat the hell out of each other over stupid stuff. Human nature doesn't change, folks. Hasn't changed in 300 years, hasn't changed in 3,000 years. The technology changes. What we know changes. Human nature doesn't change. Uh, Whether it's Melania's dress or AOC's dress or Ted Cruz tweeting about Big Bird, it's often silly stuff. And then he gets into it's not just the waste of time and scarce attention that matters. It's the continual chipping away of trust. And he talked about blind and irrevocable trust in any individual or organization is never warranted. Don't be a slave. But when citizens lose trust in all elected leaders all the time, health authorities, the courts, the police, the universities, the Constitution, the integrity of elections, then every decision becomes contested and every election becomes a life and death struggle to save the country from the other side. Does that sound familiar? And when people lose trust in institutions, they lose trust in the stories told by those institutions. That's particularly true of the institutions entrusted with the education of children. Again, sound familiar? Stay tuned. There's much more. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We're going over Jonathan Haidt's brilliant article in The Atlantic, Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid, and they have. Uh, We've progressed through uh, discussions of social media, how it's evolved into an anger generator on purpose, according to its algorithms. It it feeds you what will make you angry because that's what makes you most engaged in the damage that's done to some of our institutions. And Haidt is talking about how um, our shared perceptions, our shared stories, our shared uh, just beliefs in what is what are being shattered. And um, and he talks about um, how... One of the most important divisions, uh, the losing trust in education, is one of the most important. And he writes, uh, history curricula have also often caused political controversy, but Facebook and Twitter make it possible for parents to become outraged every day over a new snippet, snippet from their children's history lessons and math lessons and literature selections and any new pedagogical shifts. Uh, anywhere in the country, um, I would argue he glosses over this a bit quickly because there has been a huge and fast-moving influx of radical ideas in education. That's not a uh, that's not just fed by Twitter and Facebook. Um, it's true; it's undeniable. We all see it in our kids' schools. So that is um, that is a problem. On the other hand, and he makes this point pretty clearly, and, and the part that may cause you a little self-reflection is coming up in a minute. Um, but if the point is absolutely that we can't get together and say, 
hey, I recognize the dark facets of American history 100%, and I do think it's healthy for the kids to understand that, but you're over here saying the country was founded to perpetuate racism? Like, that was the reason to found the country? I find that crazy. We got to talk, but there's no talking. We're all divided into our camps. So anyway, uh, getting back to the overall theme of the thing, and those of you listening live on the radio, thanks for hanging in. Those of you listening via podcast later in the future, how are you doing? Anyway, he mentioned the former CIA analyst Martin Gorey, who wrote a really interesting book in 2014 called The Revolt of the Republic, about the very things we're talking about. Um, and Gorey is no fan of elites or centralized authority, but he notes a constructive feature of the pre-digital era. A single mass audience, all consuming the same content, as if they were all looking into the same gigantic mirror at the reflection of their own society. In a comment recently that recalls uh, what happened afterward, he said, quote, The digital revolution has shattered that mirror, and now the public inhabits those broken pieces of glass. So the public isn't one thing. It's highly fragmented, and it's basically mutually hostile. It's mostly people yelling, yelling at each other and living in bubbles of one sort or another. That's undeniable. There were flaws to the one mirror we all looked into. Uh, it all tended to lean one way, as we know. But that metaphor of now we're all looking at a tiny piece of shattered glass and hate everybody who's looking at a different piece of shattered glass, I think there's some truth to that. But here's where it gets really, really interesting to me. Uh, so what changed in the 2010s? Let's revisit the Twitter engineer's metaphor of handing a loaded gun to a four-year-old with the the like button, the retweet buttons, the share buttons, and the algorithms that fed you that which made you most engaged. Therefore, well, and as it turns out, what made you engaged was being angry. So it became a perpetual anger machine. A mean tweet doesn't kill anyone. It's an attempt to shame or punish someone publicly while broadcasting one's own virtue, brilliance, or tribal loyalties. One more time. A mean tweet doesn't kill anyone. It is an attempt to shame or punish someone publicly while broadcasting one's own virtue, brilliance, or tribal loyalties. It's more a dart than a bullet, causing pain but no fatalities. Even so, from 2009 to 2012, Facebook and Twitter passed out roughly 1 billion dart guns globally, and we've been shooting each other ever since. Social media has given voice to some people who had little previously, and it has made it easier to hold powerful people accountable for their misdeeds, not just in politics, but in business, the arts, academia, and elsewhere. Sexual harassers could have been called out in anonymous blog posts before Twitter, but it's hard to imagine that the Me Too movement would have been nearly so successful without the viral enhancement that major platforms offered. However, that warped accountability of social media has also brought injustice and political dysfunction in three ways. First, the dart guns of social media give more power to trolls and provocateurs while silencing good citizens. I'm going to depart from the text here and mention it's a little like a a really twisted jury selection. Anybody who'd be a good juror is like shoved aside because they can't put up with it. Research by the political scientists Alexander Bohr and Michael Bang-Peterson found that a small subset of people on social media platforms are highly concerned with gaining status and are willing to use aggression to do so. They admit that in their online discussions, they often curse, make fun of opponents, get blocked by other users, or reported for inappropriate comments. Across eight studies, the two scientists found that being online did not make most people more aggressive or hostile. Rather, it allowed a small number of aggressive, hostile people to attack 
attack a much larger set of victims. Even a small number of jerks are able to dominate discussion forums, they found, because non-jerks are easily turned off in, from online discussions of politics. Anybody who's going to be civilized leaves. Second, the dart guns of social media give more power and voice to the political extremes while reducing the power and voice of the moderate majority. Here's where it gets really interesting to me and to our friends uh, on the conservative side, and maybe some of you folks who swing left who still listen patiently to the show, and we thank you for that. Uh, here's, where the, here's where we're looking into a mirror. Again, the dart guns of social media give more power and voice to the political extremes while reducing the power and voice of the moderate majority, partly because a lot of people who are reasonable and moderate just say to hell with this, I'm out. The Hidden Tribes study by the pro-democracy group More in Common surveyed 8,000 Americans over a couple of years and identified seven groups that shared beliefs and behaviors. We talked about this quite a bit on the show. The one furthest to the right, known as the Devoted Conservatives, comprised 6% of the U.S. population. The group furthest to the left, the progressive activists, are almost exactly the same, comprising roughly 8% of the population. The progressive activists were by far the most prolific group on social media. 70% of them had shared political content over the previous year. The devoted conservatives followed at 56%. So a little less. So in general, most of your social media stuff is going to be, you know, lefty politics. There's a shock, right? Uh, Anyway. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. The two extreme groups are similar in surprising ways. They are both the whitest and richest of the seven groups, which suggests that America is being torn apart by a battle between two subsets of the elite. Uh, I might quibble with that term, but who are not representing the broader society very well. What's more, they are the two groups that show the greatest homogeneity or uh, sameness in their moral and political attitudes. This uniformity of opinion, the study's authors speculate, is likely a result of thought policing on social media. Those who express sympathy for the views of opposing groups may experience backlash from their own cohort. In other words, political extremists don't just shoot darts at their enemies. They spend a lot of their ammunition targeting dissenters or nuanced thinkers on their own team. In this way, social media makes a political system based on compromise grind to a halt. And we do, like it or not, have a political system that's based on compromise. Finally, by giving everyone a dart gun, social media deputizes everyone to administer justice with no due process. Platforms like Twitter devolve into the Wild West with no accountability for vigilantes. A successful attack attracts a barrage of likes and follow-on strikes. Enhanced virility platforms... Uh, not virility, virality, viralness, platforms thereby thereby facilitate massive collective punishments for small or imagined offenses. Man, we've all seen that. With real-world consequences, including innocent people losing their jobs and being shamed into suicide. When our public square is governed by mob dynamics, unrestrained by due process, we don't get justice and inclusion. We get a society that ignores context, proportionality, mercy, and truth. Thanks, Twitter. I like it when my side gets a touchdown and does a touchdown dance on Twitter. I do. I'm human. But how true does that ring to a lot of you? The idea that 
Let's take a swipe at the left, because it's more fun. (laughs) Anybody on the left who says a transgender person is a person, and I love and respect them, and don't believe anybody should ever hurt them or make it impossible for them to get a job or a house. But the idea of a biological male beating the hell out of women in women's sports is absurd. Anybody on the left who states that, and by the way, those beliefs that I just stated are held by the vast majority of Americans. But anybody on the left who dares say that is instantly, viciously berated on social media. Anybody on the right who says, we got a problem with election integrity in this country. We've got to make sure people trust the vote. We've got to make sure every vote has a chain of custody that no one can question. We shouldn't blanket the landscape with ballots that come back willy-nilly because people will doubt elections. But I think Donald Trump lost. And I think storming the Capitol and chanting, hang Mike Pence, was obscene. You say that on the right, you're going to get a hammering. And you're going to get it good and hard and fast. And that's Height's point. And you multiply that effect by the millions and millions of times this stuff happens, and you get a society that twists itself. I think it's true. I think he's right. What do you think? Hit us with an email if you like, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We will renew the discussion when Jack and I are both in our posts and uh, and bring you the best or most insightful of what you all send in. All right, much more to come ripped from today's headline. We're going to touch on a bunch of stories quickly. Thanks for hanging around. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. 
Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I was just outside hanging out with my friend outside the bar. Uh, the door was open, and then all of a sudden we see this critter run in. I think it was just like instinctual. I just like went up to him. And I was just like, "Hey, I know you're afraid. I'm just gonna grab you, scruff you, and take you out because I feel like that would be the least painful for you." That is a woman who, when a possum, or do you say opossum, wandered into the bar, she just picked it up and hurled it out. That's uh, something that's never happened to me. I hope I react with the calm and cool she did before the terrorized beast bites me in all likelihood. Uh, So a couple of things for you briefly. Number one, I'm pretty excited about next hour. We're going to talk to Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer from the Goldwater Foundation, talking about the... Uh, the case that they are busily pursuing has to do with a just unbelievably racist policy toward children who happen to have some Indian blood in them. So often these so-called progressive policies are just horrifically racist when you look at them. Uh, executive producer Hansen is bugging me because he's so excited. People are really digging a couple of things in the Armstrong and Getty store at uh, armstrongandgetty.com. The so bizarre and so grotesque Armstrong and Getty t-shirt. The brand new never-ending parade of stupid t-shirt. The don't wing it, bring it t-shirt. And, and hoodies and, and whatever else. Because you can get the stuff on anything these days. You know how that works, right? But uh, also the stickers. The uh, stupid should hurt Armstrong and Getty stickers. Uh, decals selling like crazy. Those have been on cars throughout uh, the western United States. And increasingly spreading across the country uh, for years and years. So, anyway. Uh, that's uh, at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, on a more serious note, um, and this is uh, more serious than about anything, more and more is coming out, uh, out about the re- the police response to the Uvalde, uh, Texas shootings and the utter, utter uh, inexcusable inaction of the police and then their dishonesty afterward. That has become undeniable. Let's play a couple clips from news reports and some of the people involved. Let's begin with clip number 20, Michael. Tuesday, a DPS spokesperson said Uvalde CISD Police Chief Pete Arredondo hasn't responded to follow-up interview requests from the Texas Rangers. Last week, DPS said Arredondo was the incident commander during the shooting, believing the gunman to be a barricaded subject and ordering officers to wait in the hallways outside of the classrooms where children were still calling 911. So he's the guy who made the unforgivable call, and now is cl- it's claimed he's clammed up. What does he say? 21. Whenever this is done, let the families quit grieving, then we'll do that, obviously. And just so everybody knows, we've been in contact with DPS every day. We've been in contact with uh, the Department of Public Services every day. Yeah, but have you, sir? I know a dodge when I hear it. Uh, Here is a report from CNN, clip 22. Authorities are now clarifying another key detail of how the gunman got inside the school. 
A teacher says the door that the killer used to get inside the school was closed, but the door did not lock. This contradicts an earlier claim by the Texas Department of Public Safety investigators that the teacher had left the door propped open. The folks at the dispatch, which is uh, a lot of it's paywalled, some of it's not, uh, been doing some pretty good writing about it. They mentioned that it was clear within hours of the Uvalde massacre that local law enforcement officials were not being <clears throat> entirely forthcoming with the public about how that afternoon's atrocities played out. Uh, we knew the very basics, but we didn't have many details about what actually happened between 1128 when the gunman first crashed the truck he was driving onto school property and was immediately observed, by the way, at 1128 with a gun and 1250, not 1150, 1250 when an elite Border Patrol tactical unit breached the classroom and killed him. As we noted uh, last week, they write, spokesman for the Texas Department of Public Safety had issued several pieces of contradictory information. What last week was considered contradictory can today be labeled something else. False. The shooter did not have to outgun a school security officer on his way into the building. No security officer was present. Not at all. Wasn't there at all. And the gunman walked in unobstructed. He didn't enter the school through a back door propped open by a teacher. The door was closed. But for some reason, it didn't lock as it should. And perhaps most importantly, police officers did not engage immediately, quote-unquote, with the shooter when they arrived at the school, as was first claimed. The gunman was essentially left alone in a classroom full of children for more than an hour as distraught parents who had gathered outside the school begged law enforcement to do something. Now, what's really, really troubling to me, and it's sickening, and I apologize for sickening you if I do, the excuse by the local law enforcement place... Uh, law enforcement officials, rather, is that the gunman went into the school, did a whole lot of shooting, but that had ended, and now the guy was barricaded in the school, but there was no killing going on at that time, which is, uh, according to everybody who deals with school shooter in similar situations, Bull-ass. Everybody agrees, and this guy was trained, seconds count. Get in, get in, get in. Everybody agrees with that. Even putting that aside, the idea that, well, the shooting had stopped, so it was a barricaded gunman, and so we could wait for the SWAT guys. And here's the sickening part. Little kids were bleeding. They were bleeding a lot. If you get to somebody bleeding a lot quickly, you can save their life. If you let a little child who's bleeding a lot bleed for an hour and a quarter, they will be dead. And 19 children are dead. Not all of them could have been saved, but some of them absolutely could have been. It's undeniable. They've talked about kids who had a single wound and not a terribly serious one, but they couldn't stop the bleeding and they bled out. While those liars were biding their time waiting for something. I feel bad for them. They are thrust into something they couldn't handle. It overwhelmed them. They made terrible decisions and children died. But everybody needs to quit lying about it. Next hour is going to be great. If you can't stick around, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are the old-world, picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences, with fewer people, and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited-time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Did you catch Season 3 of This is Digital? Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ekta Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomini of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.